Well, good evening and welcome to church. My name's Rowan. I'm one of the pastors here. Life is short. Play more Xbox. Uh, that's what we're to do with our lives, and that's the way we're to think through our, our time, the time that we're here. Uh, tonight, as we've heard from God's Word in that chapter in Ecclesiastes, we're thinking through what is time? What, what do we do with time? How do, how do we use the time we have, and what are we here for? Is life just really a big shoot and fall into the grave and that's it? Is the answer to life, play more Xbox? Well, the passage, as we've opened up this evening, helps us to look at the different aspects of life. There's a time for joy, for celebration when your team wins the World Cup and a time for grief for me when mine loses. I just want to say, as a side note on the World Cup, it's worth just mentioning that if, a str- if, if, um, if, if it was the other way around... Oh, sorry, does anyone not know? Does anyone want me to not tell you what happens in the World Cup? Because I'm going to say, too bad, you should have gotten up earlier this morning. Um, so, so basically, if it was the other way around and Australia uh, and, and New Zealand lost, um, the, the, the time of mourning and grief would be uh, far, far longer for you guys than for us Australians. Um, we get over stuff more quickly. That's because we're convicts and we go in lots of trouble. Um, how do we live life with its ups and downs, its times of mourning and its celebrations? If you kind of stand back and look at your life and, and the kind of what goes on in your life, you'll see there's lots of ups and downs, high points and low points. It's kind of like life is a giant seesaw. You go from up to down to up to down. There's times of celebration, times of mourning. And that really, as you stand back, what we see in this passage and what we observe in life is it's just that life keeps going on. It just keeps ticking and just going forward like a hand on the clock. Seems that's the only constant we have in life is time. At times, are kind of a funny beast, if you think about it. Um, you can be in it and yet not in control of it. You can be part of time and what's happening in life. You, you can't change it. You can see it coming. You can look back to what's happened, but you can't change what's happened. And you don't know what you're about to hit, but you wait for it. And it just seems life is lived in a a big long line of time, of highs and lows of life. Well, the first eight verses of this chapter of the Bible are, are some of the most often quoted insights into life that the world has ever seen. You hear the verses read at weddings, at funerals, at celebrations. In fact, the birds even turned these words into a song that reached the number one hit in the 1960s called Turn, Turn, Turn. Uh, in fact, the Guinness Book of Records lists this as the oldest lyrics of any number one hit ever, uh, going back to the book of Ecclesiastes, where it quotes from. These verses help us to think through and, and capture what we notice about life. There's this sense of order and, and appropriateness, if you want, or rightness about time. There's a time for laughing and a time for mourning. The author, uh, the teacher here, starts off in chapter 3, verse 1, summarizing time for us. There's an occasion for everything and a time for every activity under heaven, under the sky. As you stand back and take a look at life, time is the great determiner. There was a time for your birth. It came. It went, you're here. Well done. You didn't have much to do with it, but you know, here you are. There's, there's, there's a time for laughing, 
Uh, time for dancing or dancing, depending on where you're born. Um, th- there's moments as you look back over your life, you know, those photo album memory moments where you kind of have that recognition of, gee, that was a good time of life. You know, it was just a good season to be in. A, a time, there's an appropriateness to it being a, a time of joy. Or oh, that, that time was hard. It was a struggle to get through life. Those times of weeping and, and searching and hate and loss. I think as you stand back and look at life, there seems this sense of appropriateness about the seesaw of life. It's just how it is. It's just the time for these things. A recognition that 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 is how life has to be. And I guess with that comes an acceptance, like that Xbox ad, that just this is life. You pop out and from that moment, you're on a journey through the sky to your grave. And life is a bit in the middle. Well, within these words in the Bible, there's all sorts of wisdom. All sorts of wisdom. That's why they're often some of the most quoted parts of the Bible. There's this, firstly, I think this encouragement to live the time of life you're in. Have you ever come across someone uh, who's living in a different time of life? Like, like a really, really, really old person with their shirt open at the beach, just loving life. And you're like, whoa, it's a bit old for that, you know? That's not the stage of life you're in. Now, you're free to do it. This is not, I'm not ageist, whatever that is. You're free. But there's just a sense of like, you know, you don't have those pecs you used to have. You know, everything's dropped a little bit and saggy and wrinkly and it's not really how it was, right? There's an appropriateness to that. It's like the Hawaiian shirt at the funeral. Bad taste. There's an inappropriateness to that. Live within the time that you're in. Or if you've been at a wedding uh, where the groom is there at the front and as the bride walks down the aisle, the the ex-girlfriend starts bawling because she wanted to have him, but she can't. And you're like, girl, it's over. They're getting married. You're not going to get him back. Now's not the time for bawling that you couldn't have him. Grow up, move on, get over it. (laughs) There's an appropriateness about living to the times that we're in. As you look closely here, you see that there's a whole heap of contrast between the type of times that we have. There's a time to plant uh, and a time to build things. And there's a, there's a time to, to stop, to tear out, to tear up. It's kind of a little bit like life. I think this is great wisdom. You know, there's time in your life to be building things, to be learning, to be growing, to be setting on adventures and, 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 and I guess being productive in what we do. But there's also a time in life that we just need to stop. There might be things that we need to kind of just change directions in. You know, that thing you've been trying to see happen for so long and it's just not going to happen. You've failed statistics 101 eight times. Give up. Like maybe there's a time to say, look, maybe me and stats don't work out. Like there's some probability in that, surely. Now, there's things in life that we need to just say, maybe that's enough. Maybe we need to throw some things out. Are you one of those people that's a hoarder? You know, you like gathering stuff because one day it'll, it'll come in handy. You know, you've got this, this section in your room or in your house and you're like, I'm going I'm to keep it for later because I'll need an extra eight doorstoppers for our house later on because they could come in handy, right? You, you ne- Is that you? Are you the person that holds on to that special bit of clothing even though it's got a hundred holes in it and it's falling apart? You know, there's a time to throw out. There's a time to move on. And maybe for you, it's not things that you kind of gather and hold on to, but your pride. Are you one of those people like me that sometimes you just want to hold on to your own pride in life? Things you can't let go of, 
that person you can't forgive. You insist on your rights and you're like, no, they need to apologize to me. I'm right, they're not. And your relationship with them will never be right. Because they're never big enough to actually let go of that thing and build that relationship back up. They're wise words. A time for grief, it talks about in verse 4. And grief is such a helpful emotion. Don't ever let anyone tell you not to grieve. Grief helps you to kind of process the ugliness of life. To be able to say, that sucks. And it does. To be able to step back and kind of work through times that aren't as they should be. Grief is good. It helps us to process. But sometimes we hold on to grief for too long. You ever met someone that's still grieving, you know, after eight years that they failed their year one exam? You're like, oh, come on, get over it. You're going to live life under a cloud if you can't do that. Or it might even be something much bigger than that, a death of a parent, a death of a child. Grief is real, but there's a time for laughter too. A time to say you need to move on from that. Don't let grief rob you of your laughter. They're wise words. Are you letting your grief from something rob you of life? There's a time to be silent and a time to speak. And I I feel like that was written for me. It's one I struggle with so much. Um, I think every report card I got at school from year zero through to year 13 said these words in some way, shape or form. If only Rowan thought before he spoke, he would be a much better student in this classroom. And that's just me growing up. I'm like, you serious? There's a possibility that you can think without speaking? Like, that's how I think. Like, I I speak. And so growing up, there were times that I should have just shut up. I should have just shut my mouth rather than say that thing that hurt that person that was funny in your head. But when it came out, you realized as you saw those words go through the air, you're like, that is just uncalled for. It happened this morning at church, and I've got permission from the people uh, to say this. Uh, some friends of ours walked into church, and they've got a little baby, a t- two-year-old little girl, um, dressed up kind of in Halloween costume as like a pig. And the first thing that came into my head that I went to say to them was, hey, your daughter's a pig. <laughs> then I went, yeah, and so I went to them and said, hey, could I say that? And as I said it, I went, yeah, it's not really appropriate, is it? Right? There are times when we need to stop speaking. <laughs> but there's also other times that... We need to speak, to stand up for the poor, to stand up for those who um, are powerless and to speak for injustice. How often we need to speak up when people talk about Jesus and we say nothing and let those moments go past. There's a time to speak and a time to be silent, a time for peace and a time for war. It's naive to think that war will never be a part of history again. See, as as long as there are people who will injure others, we need to be involved in the protection of others, don't we? War is going to be a reality as long as there are people who are doing unjust things. We long for peace. We, We don't like the idea of war, but in a sense, all of us are at war with something. There are countries at war with one another. We're at war with aging. People are like, man, I just don't want to grow old. I don't want to have wrinkles. We hate that idea and we're like, no, I'm going to stop this at all expenses. Or maybe even more profound, we're at war with God. Whether that's been just subtly ignoring Him, saying, look, I don't think there is a God. I'm nothing personal against God. I just want to live my life as if there is none. 
Well, if there is, that, that, that's a being at war with God. Through, through the other extreme, just saying, oh, they're actively rejecting him. I hate this idea of a God and it's not, it's not going to happen. See, if there is a God and he made you and me and sustains the universe and we treat him as if he doesn't exist, we're staging a coup against him. We're saying, I don't think you exist. I'm actually going to make the rules. I'm going to set the tone for the way I walk my life. We're not giving him his right rights over being able to define the way we should live and what we should do. We are at war and we long for peace. Peace with family, friends, and I think deep down, a peace with God. To know that if we were to die tonight, if we were to come before the creator of the universe and we were to front up to him, to know that we would be okay and not sit under his judgment. There's a time for peace and a time for war, an occasion for everything, says the teacher of Ecclesiastes, for every activity under heaven. And as you stand back and you observe what this teacher is telling us, if you, as you look at the world around us, there's one observation that's exceedingly obvious. Time is out of our control. Time it's out of our control. We see all these contrasts of, of a time for this, a time for that, but, but no one can actually control this thing called time. You can't choose the moment that special someone walks into your life. You can't say it's going to be this time at this place and it'll all happen fine. You can't, you can't do that. It just, we're not in control of it. You can't control the time that bad things happen. As a kid, I used to have this... Um, kind of funny feeling every time my dad was late coming home from work. I, used to, I remember sitting at night, uh, about half past seven, he'd usually get home. I remember sitting uh, at the window, looking through, just waiting for the headlights to come into our driveway. And the later he got, the more and more I just expected the phone to ring. With those words on the other end, there's been an accident. It never did, or not yet, but there will be a day when the words do come to me, Rowan, your dad is dead. I can't choose that time. There's nothing I can do to, 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 to change when that will happen. So we're not in control of the times and seasons of life. If you go through every self-help book you can find in the bookstore, on the Kindle store, whatever store you go to, you know, there's, there's none there that say, well, not that are legitimate, um, how to control time. You just can't. Who can slow time down? Now, I don't want some relativity answer where, you know, if you go through a couple of black holes and you'll end up in another universe. And yeah, What we're talking about here is you can't change what happens and when it happens. We spend so much energy on, on savings, on plans for life, on what we're going to do for a job, on holidays, on relationships, but none of us can determine when they'll happen, if they'll happen, how they'll happen and how great they'll be. We just can't. Although we long to master time, it always masters us. It always masters us. It's out of our control. And it's that fact that leads this teacher of Ecclesiastes to the question he poses in this chapter. Verse 9 of chapter 3. What does the worker gain from his struggles? In other words, what's the point? Why do I go through all this effort to see these things happen if I, if I can't control any of it? And in the end, time is just going to do its thing. 
Just like a seesaw, just going backwards and forwards of life. High point, low point. I'm not in control of it. So what's the point? Who can turn back time? Who can slow it down? What has been done is what will be done. And so if this is all there is, says this teacher, what we see and feel and observe, if if, if time and and the world that we're in is, is all there is, then it feels like life is no more than a ticking time bomb. Just waiting to go off, shot through the air to die in our graves and end at that point dead. What's the point? Again, happy you came to church tonight. (laughs) But for the first time in the book of Ecclesiastes, we get another perspective on life. See, Solomon, or the person writing from Solomon's wisdom and perspective, he's been talking about life as we live it under the sun. He's saying, look, I want to work out how to live in the world around us just by observing and seeing the best way to live. And remember, he's got all the resources, all the money, anything he wants, all the wisdom, all the power. He is so, so powerful. And he's exploring the maze of life, trying out every nook and cranny, going, how much can I suck out of life? What can I get out of living this way? And he's come to the conclusion after last week's search for happiness and this week's kind of musing of time that what's the point? What can I do about this? If this is all there is, then I can't control anything. But for the first time, we get a glimpse of another perspective, a perspective from outside the maze. Look at verse 10, chapter 3. I've seen the task that God has given to people to keep them occupied. He's made everything appropriate in its time. Let me read it again because there's something extraordinarily profound in in these words. I have seen the task that God has given people to keep them occupied. He has made everything appropriate in its time. At this moment, Solomon's claim is that there is a God. There is someone outside of just you and me, someone who, well, is in control of time who is controlling what goes on with our world, controlling the highs and the lows, who's dealing out the tempo of life's metronome. (laughs) What that means is he's the one that sets the moments of joy and the moments of grief. He's the grand architect. Everything you see and experience is part of his plan. Those things that you love, they're given by him. He has made everything appropriate in its time. He is the one that works out what will happen when and how. Now, if that's true, then that's amazing. There is one who is in control of time, who sets what will happen in in your life, who has a plan and a purpose. There's there's something going on here that's, that's very, very different than us just living in a world that comes and goes like a seesaw metronome. Now, for many of you, that's going to raise questions for you. Questions like, well, If there is a God and he is in control of time and what happens and sets what's appropriate for what time and what isn't, then why did he let the evil things in life happen? Why does he let suffering go on? What sort of God, some sort of controller would be be like, yeah, that's okay with the atrocities that we see in the world around us, in our own lives? 
the evil that we experience? There's a sense in which that question comes to the forefront. If there is a God and He is in control of it all, why? Now, I want to get to that answer in a moment, and we will get there. But the first question I want to ask you is, why do you care if there's evil in the world? Like, if this is all there is, and, and there is no God, and we are just random accidents, we've just happened out of a series of chain reactions, and we just exist here on earth, then whether something's good or bad shouldn't matter. It's just an accident. There's no moral value attached to accidents. You run into your room and you trip over and you knock something off your table. You don't like, well, was that a, you know, a good thing to do or a bad thing to do? You're like, dude, it was an accident. <laughs> it wasn't, there was no purpose in it. That's the whole definition of an accident. There was no meaning or, or purpose in doing it. If there was purpose, then it would have been deliberate and it wouldn't have been an accident. So if you and I are just accidents, if there is no God, if this is all there is, then how can we say something is good or bad? Life has no real purpose. It just becomes time to suck as much out as you can and do what's good for you and let the person next to you do what's good for them and hope they don't clash. And that way we can get on well. I want to say the very fact that you want to know why a God would let things go on that seem evil should point you to the fact that perhaps you're not an accident. Perhaps there's some sense in which we do have a purpose and there are moral values within life. And where do we get those from? Well, Solomon, the teacher, his claim is that you get those values because you were made by God and that there is a God who controls the universe and that God made you and he made you a certain way with a certain desire for good, for for life, for living forever. He, he, he says it this way in chapter 3, verse 11. He has also put eternity in their hearts. He has put eternity in their hearts. The claim of the teacher is that God has made you with a deep longing for more. He's made you with a longing that life that just gets shot up in the sky and lands in the grave is highly unsatisfactory. There's got to be more to life than just standing in the whims and flows of time and just we have some highlights and some lowlights and then that's it that's all we are worm food is that is that it i know very few people that are actually satisfied living a life that is amoral that is without morals why is that well, the claim of this persuasive white rudder is speaking from the viewpoint of the god of the universe says that you have that desire because God made you. You are no random chance. You are part of time. You're part of God's plan and he stitched you together with a desire for more, with a desire for knowing him. See, time can so often feel like overwhelming to us. It just feels like, what is going on here? I can't understand the highs and lows of life. We can't put it together and we, we kind of see the evil things in life and we see the good things and we can't hold them together. And we're like, what's the point? We look at life and we think there's no one in control of this. But I want to put it to you tonight that it's because we only see a small portion of life. 80, 90, 100, 110, 120 years max. It's 
It's the most you're going to get. We only see a small portion of life. It's kind of like a, a freight train. I don't know if you've ever seen freight trains go past. They're really, really long ones. In Australia, we have really, 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 really long ones. Just because Australia's really, 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 really wide. But anyway, um, and they just, you can be standing there for like a minute. And the train is just still going past. And all you're seeing is like carriage, 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 carriage. Like, oh, different carriage, 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 carriage. And like some might have coal and you're like, oh, round carriage, carriage, carriage. Like a minute standing there. Like this is a long train. Well, it's kind of like life lived the way we live life. We only see a little bit of time. And it's like we've walked up to this freight train called time when the start of the train's already gone past. And we're just coming in the middle and just saying, oh, what's life about? Carriage, 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 different carriage, different carriage, carriage, carriage. Like that's a good thing, good thing, bad thing, bad thing, good thing, bad thing. Like, and we're like, what's the point of this? Life is just like a train going past. We do our thing. There's no purpose. But if you had another perspective, if you were able to step back and see time in its entirety, the claim of the Bible is that God is the one who made time. He's the one who's in control of time. If we were to see the start of time, we'd see in the front carriage that there's a driver. That there's actually someone controlling the rest of this train and its direction. There's someone who is in control of what's happening. There is an end as well. And so because of that, it's not just some random carriages going past. There's actually purpose and direction and meaning in life. But we don't see it because we only see such a small section. Our frustrations with life come from the fact that we can't see the whole story. We can't see from God's point of view. That's what this teacher's trying to do, working out the world from our point of view. And at this point, he's, he's tried out lots of different mazes and now he's stepping back and going, ah, but if there was one who could see it all, if there was one who was in control of it all, his name is God. And he's appointed time in its appropriate seasons. And what I want to put to you is that if there is a God who is in control of time and that he's good, then there is great comfort in that. There's great comfort in knowing that there is purpose to life. It isn't just a run of carriages, a life of seesaws. That there is a plan and that the driver of the train can see the whole plan. That he's the one who sustains the universe, who sustains you and has purpose in what he's doing. Not only does he sustain it, he determines it. What the teacher would say to us as we get frustrated with just this short view of life is if you could see the whole picture like God can... It would all make sense. The times for war, the times of joy, times of grief, times of pain. All of it happens for a reason. And God is the one who defines that reason and that purpose. So that leads to the question then, so what's the purpose of time? What's the purpose of life? Where's the train going? What are we to do? Well, at this point, the teacher stands back and says this in verse 12 to 13. We were made to enjoy life. Look at this. I know that there's nothing better for them than to rejoice and enjoy the good life. It's also the gift of God whenever anyone eats and drinks and enjoys all his efforts. What the teacher here is saying is there's something good about life. I've explored all the ins and outs and I've found that there's a meaninglessness that death brings because it doesn't give us any purpose. But when I stand back and and understand that there's a God who is in in control and I recognize he's the one that's given me the good things to enjoy, then I can enjoy them because 
I trust he's the driver. I trust he's taking life a good way. And so we can enjoy life. Those things that we're given were given to you by God, whether you believe he's in existence or not. Claim of the Bible is God gives all things. But at that point, if we limit our sky to there being no God, and this is all there is, how can, how can we say life is good? If death is the end? Well, this view that includes God actually grows our view of what the end is. Look at verse 14. I know that all God does will last forever. There is no adding to it or, or taking from it. What he's saying is this train is going somewhere awesome and we can get on. We can be part of it. We can enjoy what God is doing. This God's, his actions, unlike ours, in contrast to ours, that we live, we die, and that's it. This will last forever. God's plan, time from its beginning to end, is there for one purpose. What is that purpose? Well, it's going to sound a little arrogant, but it's actually got nothing to do with me or you. Have a look at verse 14. God works so that people will be in awe of him. God works so that people will be in awe of him. Now, as I read that, I just think that sounds arrogant, right? It's like he's got tickets on himself. Who does he think he is? That everything's about him. (laughs) That life is about people being in awe of him. And there's a sense in which, in the relationships that you and I experience, anyone who claims that is arrogant. Anyone who says, look, I'm the answer to life's problems. You're like, you're a tool, shut up. They walk around thinking, you know, I've got all life sorted. I'm the man or I'm the woman. Uh, And you're like, you're just arrogant because you're not. But the thing is, if you are what the world is about, if you are the one that sustains the world, if you are the greatest and the one who is in control of all things, then to say I am the greatest is, isn't arrogant. It's true. If God really is in control of time, well, of course you'd be in awe of him. You ever tried to control time? He can. He does. He is. The purpose of life, of you and me, is to see how amazing God is. It's to lift our eyes from the maze of life and recognize you are sustained by someone. You are here for a reason, for a purpose. Life makes sense when you recognize Him, when you live for Him and you see that His things last forever. His name is God. He's the creator and sustainer of all things, the author of time. His plans last forever. He is the key to life with purpose and meaning. When you understand that the plan is good and that you get to be part of that plan and and you trust that there's a driver who knows where he's going and there's good reason to trust him for he's stepped into history. We see that in the person of Jesus. We'll get to in a minute. So therefore, we can enjoy life because we trust God is good. We can enjoy his gifts. We can enjoy time. Not that we're living for them. No, no, we're far more in awe of the one who gave them to us than the things that he's given Recognizing this God's power and control and love is to know Him and therefore to know the eternity that He offers. Life after death, there is more. 
Well, if God is in control of this world, what do we do with the evil and the injustice? How does that fit into this plan? (laughs) We need to recognize that the time that we see this section of the train isn't the only time in God's plan. There is a reality of judgment coming. A reality of judgment. Have a look at verse 16 in chapter 3. The teacher says, I also observed under the sun that there is wickedness at the place of judgment and there is wickedness at the place of righteousness. Have you ever found that? You go somewhere expecting someone to do the right thing and they don't do it. They don't work by those standards. A while ago, a friend of mine had an Apple computer. I like Apple products. I think they're good. They work well generally. But hers broke. Uh, and it was only just out of warranty. In Australia, the consumer protection laws say that um, you should be able to take that back and Apple should fix it. I rang Apple for her because she went into the Apple store and they said, no, you've got to buy a new one. So I rang Apple and said, no, this, is, this isn't right. Like, it's broken. It's a $3,000 computer. Uh, it's broken like three months after its one year of warranty. You actually ha- have a, a legal obligation to fix it. And they said, let us talk to our legal team. They came back and said, this was their words, um, we understand that Australia has very good consumer protection laws. And our advice to you is that you are free to avail yourself of the legal system, but we choose not to replace the computer. In other words, sue us. We've got $150 billion in spare cash. I'm just like, that's wrong. That made me want to throw all my Apple products out the window, but I'm just giving them more money. Like, I just, it annoys me. I hate injustice. I hate it when I see people hurt for no reason. I hate it when, when the police are corrupt, don't you? And, and you look around and evil happens in our world. And it just is so frustrating. If God is in control of the universe, if he sets the appropriateness of the times and the seasons, how could he allow such wrong? Well, the answer is justice will come. Justice will come. Look at verse 17. I said to myself, God will judge the righteous and the wicked since there is a time for every activity and every work. There is a time of justice that's coming. A time when all evil will be punished and all wrong will be put right and God will set things as they are. He is a just God. He's a God who cares about righteousness and the right thing being done and he will set all things right. Then my question goes, well, why doesn't he set them right now? Why doesn't he just step in and make things right the way we want them to be? Here's the reason. Because if you are anything like me, you do wrong, don't you? You cause frustration in the lives of those you love. And probably even more frustration in the lives of those you don't love. We, we, we do things that, that, that cause suffering for others, intentionally sometimes, unintentionally others. And if we say to God, God, I want you to put an end to all suffering and to all evil and to all wrongdoing, you are asking God to put an end to you and me. The reason God hasn't done it yet is because he loves you. Because he wants to give you time to see with the passing carriages of life that he is in control, that he is good, that he has given you good things and that he's stitched eternity in your heart and he wants you to follow Jesus, to trust him, to get on his train and live forever. There is a time coming when God will deliver his justice. 
be sure of that. But just make sure that you're beyond the receiving end of that justice. That's where we see the importance of time. The importance of understanding the time that we're in. Here, the teacher, he he comes to conclusions about life, the ones we've looked at in verse 12. You know, be happy, enjoy what God has given you, um, do good. That's kind of what we can do now. But these conclusions, they're kind of incomplete conclusions. They're interim conclusions. It's kind of what you do when when you don't have all the answers. Let's say you're going on a holiday, you're driving just on this great driving holiday, cruising around, looking at stuff. You've got a plan, and then you find yourself lost. You, kind of, you don't know what's happening. You kind of got a vague idea of where to go, but you weren't going the exact way that you wanted to go, and you, you can't work out how to get back. You know, you ask the people that you're with, how do I go there? And they've got no idea. You wind down your window. You say, look, where are we going? You can ask around. There's one way to keep searching, keep seeking out. I want to get back to that plan I had. I must do it. But your holiday sucks if you do that. What Solomon Uh, The teacher here is saying from Solomon's point of view is, when you get lost, just enjoy the view. Like, you might not be where you thought you'd be, but there's stuff around you that you can enjoy. You're on holidays. Sit back, relax. Don't get so worried about getting the most out of life. That's not going to achieve anything. Trust me, I've been there. I've achieved more than you ever will. He says, no, enjoy the things that you have, the seesaws of life. So verse 22, he says, I've seen... That there is nothing better for a person to enjoy his activities because that is his reward. For who can enable him to see what will happen after he dies? He said that's the conclusion he comes to. There is nothing better than for a person to enjoy his activities because that's his reward. There's something good about it. For who can enable him to see what will happen after he dies? We can't go beyond death, he says. And so he, he comes to this preliminary conclusion. And we know it's preliminary because of the verse before it 21 have a look he says who knows if the spirit of people rise upwards and the spirit of animals go downward to the earth he's like we don't know what happens who knows what happens when we die whether humans go up and people go and animals go down or or what but you and i right now live in a different time a time when we can know what happens when you die you see As you look at the historical records throughout history, we see that this person called Jesus of Nazareth lived. He died on a a Roman cross. And history records for us that something happened with this guy. People started following him as if he was God. They started claiming that he rose from the dead. They started saying, you can go and talk to people 500 at once if you want. They're still alive today who saw him risen from the dead. And you know what? The fact that he rose from the dead was promised beforehand. He said he was going to do it. He fulfills all his promises that was claimed to have been from a God, if he really existed. But from 700 years earlier, and now they're all happening, history points that there is one who has come back from death, never to die again. Can we know what happens if the spirit of a man rises or if it descends? Yes, we can. For we have the words of this man, Jesus. We have the words of God come in the flesh and spoken to us. That's what he claimed about himself. We do know what Jesus has done. And his claim is that he has come to set up his kingdom, his eternal kingdom, a kingdom that will last forever, where there's no more mourning or crying or pain. 
And as people talk about his resurrection, they keep talking about what it means is that he's the judge. He's the one who's in authority over, over all. And suddenly we see all these lines coming together. Lines of Ecclesiastes and, and time and life that the best way to live life is by enjoying the gifts God gives. And here comes the best gift God has ever given. Jesus' death in your place. Forgiveness from turning our back on God. Peace with God. We see in Jesus that life is kind of put back together. That There's this promise of no more mourning or crying or tears. And at the same time, we see justice come. The one who says he will deliver justice. He will judge you and me for how we've lived. We see in Jesus all these strands coming together. And that helps us to recognize the time. Jesus claims now is the time to trust him. He's died in your place. He's faced death so you and I don't need to. And he's offering life. If you would just accept the gift he's offering you. That helps us have a clearer view than this teacher. For we can see from outside the maze in an even clearer way than he could. It helps us to work out what matters now. How to make sense of the freight train of life. To know how to live and and what time we are living in. The Apostle Paul, one of the kind of first um, people to go and spread the news of Jesus throughout the ancient Near East. He says this in 1 Corinthians 7. And just listen to the way he picks up the the themes of this passage. I say this, brothers, the time is limited. And so from now on, those who have wives should be as though they had none. Those who weep as though they did not weep. Those who rejoice as though they did not rejoice. Those who buy as if they did not possess. And those who use the world as though they did not make full use of it. For this world in its current form is passing away. They're pretty strong words, aren't they? They're words that say that the ebbs and flows of this life are inconsequential compared to what's to come. The life as we know it now is is going to come to an end and there is a new kingdom with Jesus as the king. And you now have access to that kingdom to live for that kingdom, to live where, for where things will be put right, for where that eternity that is stitched into your heart points you. It helps us to understand how to think about life now. What really matters to you? What's important? Having the best time you can for that little tiny blip that we have? Or recognizing that Jesus is the king, the sustainer who is going to come and judge and is offering you life, forgiveness, peace, joy. Ecclesiastes is framing life kind of like the first half of a rugby match. You know, when you get to about half time, you think, yeah, this match could go either way. You're not really sure what will happen. Well, in the Bible, we actually get a, a certainty of what the, what the end result will be. God will win. He appoints the seasons and times. He's in control of the whole universe in this match between God and everyone else trying to be king. God is going to win. But the time we live in now, according to Paul, is kind of like not the time to sit back, to relax and indulge and say, oh, it's all fine, you know, I I, I trust Jesus. Or maybe I don't, just to go, I'm just going to enjoy life, cruise through the air and have fun. That's not the, the time. Paul says the time now is to play like you're in extra time. 
trying to get as many points as you can. You don't know whether, who, who's going to be there at the end. How many points are you going to get in the game? How many people are going to come to know Jesus and trust in Him? And so you want to live now for that world, for that kingdom, with those things as, as the key things that matter. See, Paul's view of time and what to do with it, it's, it's profound. Marriage is good. God has set up marriage, but he says here, in this time right now, if you don't have to get married, don't. There are more important things than, than marriage. Use your time to pursue the king. Use your life to live for the one who sets eternity in place, who is the ruler of the universe and shows us what is good. To pursue the cause of the kingdom is what we're called to do. For this present age is passing away. You can try and live for it. You might be sitting there going, look, it's not that bad. I kind of enjoy life. The only reason you enjoy life is because you haven't reached what you'd like to reach. Solomon, who's reached all the heights that we'd all love to in wisdom, in fame, in sex, in pleasure, in money, in values, in material possession, he's reached the top in all of them. And he says, life sucks. The only reason you're thinking life's pretty cool is because what you're trying to achieve hasn't come yet. And when you achieve it, you're like, oh, that sucked. still die. Now's the time to recognize that in this train called life, there's a driver and his name is Jesus. And he's paid the price for you and for me. And he's offering you life forever. Life that satisfies if you are at this moment not trusting in Jesus, then I want to encourage you to come and look seriously at the claims of history. Because he's offering something far better than what I can achieve and what you can achieve. If you are a Christian here and you're trying to understand how this fits together and how we live in God's world, hear the message from Paul about what time we live in. Think about the way you use your life to live for what will last forever, forever. Don't be so caught up with the things flying past in front of you that suck you in and remember the train driver and living for him. How can you pursue the king? How can you live for him? What will you do with your life that will see people trusting Jesus to the end? Jesus' return is urgent. The end of the train is coming. And when that end comes, he will return as judge. So it's my prayer that as many people as possible would trust in him before that day. And that day could be tomorrow. How will you use your life with the skills and abilities God's given you to live for the kingdom? What difference will it look like in the way you, in the job you get, in the way you speak to your friends, in how you order your time and what you do with your holidays if you're living for Jesus? If it makes no difference, then I doubt he's your king. There's a time for everything. And now is the time to run to Jesus and trust him. To follow him with our all. For how you respond to Jesus now will determine how you spend eternity.